0: This is a Dece World production, in association with Pants Pending Studios. Malam Keen, everyone. This is Deese, host of The Social Hour. Oh, that? That's just me playing the piano. I'm pretty good, aren't I? You know what else I'm good at? making people laugh and talking to people but more importantly making you think sometimes so tune into the social hour every tuesday and thursday at deescomedy.com and hear me talk to people like libertarian presidential candidate joe jorgensen comedian steve hofstetter creator of the savage dragon and co-founder of image comics eric larson and the guy who owns the weed shop on the corner by my house we've got range just like my abilities on this piano. Listen to me mix it up here. We'll just let that play. I'll see you this week on the social hour. Da na na na. Da na 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 na. Keen everyone welcome to the show this is the dollar bin podcast your favorite comic book review show I am your host Dees this is the show where we rate and review obscure trade paperbacks comic book miniseries and then we read a comic book we purchased from the dollar bin at our local comic book store and we tell you if it's truly a dollar bin comic or a hidden gem this week on the dollar bin podcast we review Copperhead in image comics released First issue dated September 2014. This book is written by Jay Farber and art by Scott Gadlewski. We're talking about the first trade paperback which collects issues one through five. Now I bought this book strictly because it was written by Jay Farber. Uh, His Noble Causes series through Image Comics years ago is still one of my favorites of all time and I highly suggest it. A lot of people did superheroes as real people thing in this era, but he did it as one of the best. Uh, It's got a lot of humor. Very little superhero stuff. A lot Plays off a lot of the tropes really well. It has a lot of uh, just really great elements in it, character development, and it's one of my favorite series I've ever read. I still love you! I don't hear people talk about it a lot. I know I say this every episode, but we are going to talk about that one down the road and review Noble Causes noble causes is basically the original umbrella academy um it does family superheroes so much better than anyone ever has he also had a run on generation x after scott lobdell left the book uh, big shoes to fill but he definitely had a great uh, vibe on it didn't Exactly, goes the same direction Scott went. Plays his own path without uh, straying too much from the source material and understanding what made the book good in itself. He's really good at writing characters as people, uh, humanizing them, and also writing youth, uh, which this series Copperhead is a big shift from that. After Generation X, he wrote New Warriors, Teen Titans. Was kind of being t- typecast as someone who could only write teen hero team books, team teen teen teams. Team teams. Team team books. Jay Farber has definitely shown he can do more than that. Uh, especially given Copperhead and what he's done since. Uh, I was very surprised by this book. Again, I only picked it up for Jay Fairburn because I believe in him as a writer so much. He doesn't get talked about enough. He's one of those guys that has been consistently working and pumped out some great material, just never really gets brought up with the upper tier writers. Him and Joe Casey are two guys I think are super underrated as far as consistently great uh, writers who know how to subvert a genre and use superheroes in a way that's clever, but still injects enough superhero into it without alienating your usual comic book fans. I'm not super familiar with, but it appears he's worked on about every DC comic out there. Not consistently, just kind of fill-in stuff. He's consistently worked, but not had a big run on anything as far as I can tell. But he's a good artist. The series Copperhead is set in the fictional mining town of Copperhead in the 24th century. Uh, The story focuses on the arrival of the town's new sheriff, uh, Clara Bronson. Uh, Clara and her son have moved to Copperhead for unknown reasons, and as the sheriff, she soon gets involved, in the town's mysteries and secrets. So, this is all pretty much laid out in the first issue. They do a really uh, good job. They have a strong opening issue and set a precedent immediately for Clara as a character and who she is while allowing a lot of room for growth and still some mystery. They set up her relationship with her new deputy, Boo, who is an alien that is from this planet uh, that Copperhead r- resides on, uh, as well as establishing the setting of the area, the tone of the book, and more, which is a far cry from most of faber's other work uh, which again is teen drama team books so copper has an old mining town with a western feel but in the future uh, which is a really cool backdrop for a series um, the small twists that really make it work and having that uh, kind of western feel like you need a drunk you need a doctor you need a mystery man you know you need the sheriff all those tropes are there but they kind of are played up in futuristic ways the sheriff is a woman uh in a western mining town full of aliens who don't respect her Uh, she's has a questionable past why is she sheriff of this little mining town well she can't seem to get a job anywhere else so that lays out some mysteries about why and what her past involves making the female lead i think was really a great call uh i love seeing a good strong female lead in a comic book we're seeing that more and more and not just as pandering, as uh, genuine characters with some depth to them. And Clara is one of those. It's clear women aren't as respected. Again, it's kind of an old West feel. You know, She has a harder road to hoe, obviously, but she's the woman who's going to do it. Uh, Jay also proves he can write a really good female lead. Uh, she's strong, confident, but also has feminine qualities. She's not over the top, just like badass Some all action like Evangeline from Extreme Studios in the 90s. You know, she's got some nuance to her. She's soft when needed, forgiving, and she's a good mom. So she's got a lot of balance as a character, really well fleshed out. She's not a hard edge and badass. The catalyst of the first issue is what is seemingly a routine domestic violence dispute, but spirals into something much deeper and starts to unravel some mysteries in this little small town. I mean, if you ever lived in a small town, you know that everyone knows everyone everyone's in each other's business and you put that in an old west setting where everyone's kind of on edge sheriff who is trying to prove herself in a sense because she wants to get back in the good grace of the law she's obviously she has some sort of sordid history where it seems like she was booted out of some places so she's trying to work her way back up the ladder uh they do a great job of speckling in the rest of the setting, this Badlands, uh, the characters who live in the Badlands, Ishmael, who are these prototype humans. Basically, there was a war that they fought for them, uh, these kind of androids. And then they were all decommissioned, um, and she, Clara, has an issue with them. But one Ishmael is introduced early on and saves her kid. And it has some mystery to him and some nuance also. And you start to wonder what the real uh, deal with those particular species are. Uh, Again, her deputy Boo, they talk about his background. You can see he's had some struggles, um, maybe some setbacks with his career and some things that haunt him. Um, So there's a lot of going on in the background and it's speckled in very nicely, gently over the course of these first five issues. The art is minimalistic but good. Uh, There's muted color tones that really help the mood of this kind of somber, dry, western setting. Uh, I don't have a ton to say about the art except it's great for this book. Kind of grittier feeling books tend to have gritty artists. And then the book just feels too over the top and like there's no subtlety or nuance. I'm really finding a lot of the best books now have a juxtaposition between what the art and the writing is. You know, there was a time when you would match writers and artists on projects like this for the tone of the book. Now it seems like splitting them allows you to do more storytelling because the art is telling a story the same way the writing is, but in different formats. So if they're both gritty, you're just telling one gritty story. If the art is a little softer, you're able to tell that softer side of the story with the children, with the mother. But it's harder to tell if you have Frank Miller or Bill Sankiewicz doing this, although he did do New Mutants. So, But I think a gritty art would just take away from the great writing uh, Jay Farber's doing. I don't want to say that lack of anything to say on the art is bad. I think it's great, it fits the book great. I think anything more than this art on it would have been distracting to what the story is. Uh, The book has a lot of scope and scale, again, set in a Western. You can tell they wanna tell a very interesting epic, but it feels like a comic book too. Larger Western-set comic books like East of West are so sweeping and so epic, and they're great, but you can lose the grandiosity of it in comic book format because they are in bite-sized chunks and chaptered and serialized, even if you read in a trade paperback form and can read five, six issues at a time. It's still not the same. Um, It still seems bigger than the media it's being portrayed in. Not to take away from East of West. It's good. I do plan on talking about that at some point, reviewing it, but it's sometimes bigger than the medium of comic books can contain it, too. Copperhead rides that line of giving you that larger scale. It Every issue pushes towards bigger things, and you know there's more coming and more down the line. It keeps throwing track out appropriately while still handling the things in that particular issue so it really satisfies uh the curiosity of the now and the curiosity of what's to come all in all copperhead is a fantastic read unfortunately copperhead went on hiatus in 2018 and has not come back they did a total of 18 issues four volumes of trade paperbacks i would like to read the rest of them and see how this went Uh, about halfway through the artist was switched out Um, so we'll see what kind of art change they made Uh, But apparently the book sold out its first run of original printing, uh, first issue, uh, did fairly well. Uh, Jay Farber just hasn't come back to it. We'll see if it ever does. Uh, I would love to finish this book, and we'll do a second review about the rest of the series. Uh, but as for the beginning, the first five volumes, uh, volume one of Copperhead, A New Sheriff in Town, this goes in the $9 bin. And this is a solid outing. You couldn't ask for more. Jay Farber's art is absolutely sharp. Uh, it's hard to get much stronger than this for an opening five issues of a comic book series to really reel people in. I highly suggest it. Definitely read it and go read anything by Jay Farber. I've never been disappointed by what he's he's ever done. And now for our dollar comic book of the week. Uh this comic book was pulled from the dollar Band in our local comic book store and it is Arcanum number 1. Arcanum number 1 is by Image Comics, Top Cow Studio to be specific, that's Mark Silvestri's arm of the Image uh brand. It's dated April 1997. The story and art is by Brandon Peterson. Uh Brandon Peterson's done a lot of things in the industry over the years, uh most famously probably Uncanny X-Men. He's had several runs on that book before and after. This book, Arcanum, came out in 97. Now, this may be hard to imagine for people now, but there was a time when Top Cow essentially ruled the comic book marketplace. And 1997 was about the height of their powers or on their way up to the height of their powers. Now I am the master. In 1997, they were a year into the wildly successful Witchblade. Uh, They just debuted Darkness, which was on its way to be a hit as big as Witchblade. Their flagship series, Cyberforce, was... uh, uh, kind of waning, it was still around, but it was giving way to a new era ruled by the occult, mysticism, and sci-fi. You know, Cyberforce was kind of their cornerstone original series. It was a lot of cyber action related books. Uh, Witchblade kind of changed that and they went full hog in that direction. They had kind of a religious sci-fi book in Ascension. They had a pure sci-fi futuristic book in Aphrodite Nine, Weapon Zero, and then this mystical sorcery book Arcanum. So. this is the direction top cow went in i'm not sure if this was good or bad a lot of these series did really well at the time about 24 issues is probably the longest any of them ran and that was ascension arcanum ended up running a total of eight issues canceled with low sales weapon zero about 20 issues uh, aphrodite nine I think had a two runs and maybe, you know, nine, ten issues each run. Some interesting characters. Dynamically, they looked really great. Uh, there was potential there, but it almost seemed like they went too far in one direction and didn't diversify their universe at all, which kind of set them back. But, you know, it's, it's that image way. These studios kind of find one niche and go full hog on it, like, uh, you know, Blood, for instance, Young Blood. Arcanum was vaguely a fantasy title, relying heavily on magical themes um, that were similar to the other series Top Cow was publishing at this time. Uh, this was also a time when inkers like uh, Bat were superstars. B a t t. I think his name was Matthew Bat Batley. Uh, I still don't know why these inkers got wildly popular. I mean, David Finch and Brandon Peterson and others who are working for Top Cow are more than talented enough to carry themselves. But somehow Bat sold the Ascension series. He was the inker on Darkness and then moved to doing his own series, Ascension. Did a couple, he did about half this Arcanum, uh, debut issue. A couple other about. There's like five inkers credited on this book. And I don't think Bat really lent anything to the book that uh, made it any more impressive. If you look at the pages he did compared to others, they're just a little darker and a little heavier inks. If anything, I think he was just contractually obligated to supply some inks to every Top Cow book because, again, somehow his name started carrying cachet. But Top Cow Comics really lauded themselves on a certain art style. Um, They literally had a studio of artists that drew vaguely all the same. Uh, You could almost not tell them apart at all. Uh, They had books being credited as drawn by Top Cow Studios. I mean, literally they didn't have individual artists credited because all these guys drew so much the same they would just have them draw pages and kind of uh, you do the layouts. Now you do this and you do page seven. Um, And there was a lot of that where you could really barely tell the difference. And now all these guys were kind of veiled versions of Mark Silvestri. And I mean, you could do worse. Michael Turner was kind of the tip of the iceberg there. And then it went from there as far as people who had that same art style and that just permeated across their entire universe. Uh, Again, David Finch, And others. This book was an attempt for an artist who has pretty good popularity, but not wild popularity. Brandon Peterson was a known artist, but not wildly popular or sought after or demanded. No one savored over his art. No one complained about it. But he was solid. Um he was trying to get he got a little bit of clout and was trying to do the writing thing. Uh this has rarely worked for artists. In fact, I don't know when it has been successful except for maybe Savage Dragon. Even other people have written Spawn, but look at anything else that was creator owned by an artist, very little has actually been productive or consistent that wasn't also controlled or created by a writer a lot of co-created stuff that stood the test of time or was very good but very little was done just by an artist and they were able to pull it off savage dragon being the one exception but eric larson has a different mind and different direction and some irreverence with the savage dragon knowing he can do whatever he wants with it and he's been able to do exactly what he wants in his demo buys into it Speaking of Eric Larson, if you want to listen to a great interview with him on the Social Hour, my other show, episode 355, I did an interview with him. We do about two hours of conversation and talk all about comics, Savage Dragon, everything. So go check that out. But this first issue of Arcanum has a lot of force introductions and reads uh, like a boy, some kid emulating what he thinks an introductory comic book should be. A team is introduced when a woman's in danger. They kind of burst in. There's a couple catchphrases. There's not really anything unique or catchy about it, except it's drawn fairly well and no one's in spandex. They all look like they're LARPing. They're all in old timey gear, like they're going to a Renaissance fair. It's really way less appealing in modern times. Like I get it's a fantasy book and you have some weird mysticism going on, but you also live in modern times. If you can change in any uniform through magic, I don't know. Pick a Gucci shirt at least. But unfortunately, Brandon Peterson didn't have the writing chops to make this series work. Again, it only lasted eight issues. Um, and again, keep in mind, this is at the height of Top Cow's powers. So their books were selling like crazy even when they didn't deserve to. So that this book couldn't even make it a year says a lot about the quality of this book. I think Brandon Peterson, if he would have brought in a writer, He could have made this book go a little further. Someone who really knew how to control a story, pace it, open things up, develop characters, and uh, make this book a little more substance and a little less flash. Him probably doing all the chores probably affected his art, too. It didn't look its sharpest in this particular book. And with that in mind, I have to say Arcanum number one is truly a Dollar Bin comic. Ah! All right, guys, that's all for this week on the Dollar Bin Podcast. I'll be back next week with an all new review. If you have something you'd like me to review a trade paperback, mini series, maxi series, or a dollar bin comic. Let me know. Send me a message at Dees Comedy. You can find me at Dees.Comedy on Instagram, Dees Casillas on Facebook, Dees Comedy on Twitter, or more. Subscribe to the show on YouTube, guys, if you're listening to this and just the audio podcast. Follow me on YouTube, and you get all sorts of extra goodies for the video show. Those who are watching the video, good for you. But follow me, guys. Send me anything you'd like me to review. I'd be happy to take a look at it and see if we can get you a little insight on it and uh, just talk about it a little bit. As for me, you guys go to deescomedy.com. Check out all the shows. we got lots of other shows, The Social Hour, The Social Minute, uh, Social Hour, Morning Paper, and Some Imperfections, uh, as well as Live Stand-Up Comedy. If you're in the Northwest, they do Live Stand-Up comedies. And you can also go to Patreon backslash Comedy and get some exclusive behind-the-scenes content from across the Social Hour Comedy Network. We've got all sorts of stuff going on. All right, that's it, guys. Thanks for coming around for another episode of the Dollar Bin Podcast, and we will see you next week. Peace. <laughs>